welcome to the Flamcast. I'm joined as ever by my chum Derek Troy and I've got to say Derek I'm very very tired today so you're going to have to do most of the talking. I've been recording for what feels like forever now. I've been block recording some uh, editions of the Cycle Systems Academy podcast because I'm, I'm going to step back from that in a few months and I'm, I thought I'd give Sean you know some some content to buffer the transition to him doing it in-house. So have you seen anything in the news? I mean, I've I've seen a few things. We've got a change of finish at Liège. Um, the Tour Down Under's finished, and I got my predictions entirely wrong with that, but there's no surprise. Uh, it's, I mean, it's that quiet wobble after the excitement of road racing starting again in Australia, but before we hit the ground in, uh, in Europe. Yeah, there's a couple of races coming up in Argentina and Colombia and stuff like that, so there, there's a few bits and pieces going to, going to be interesting that we mentioned on the last podcast. Cav, Sagan, Sam, Viviani, and a few more guys are over doing San Juan. So it could be interesting to see how they are faring out, considering, um, you know, the Tour Down Under really didn't turn into, the sprinters didn't really battle it out at all, I don't think. You know, Viviani was head and shoulders. Um, the stage that was taken off, uh, Yoon, he was head and shoulders. You know, so there wasn't really a, a shootout down there. Uh, as you predicted, Richie Port, he cleaned up until the final stage but not enough to win not enough to win but you know you reckon this reflects in his Grand Tour credentials um, Hi I, I mean I genuinely thought we were longer being on the last day he would clean up because it would give him a target to aim for but I think what we saw from uh, from Paddy Bevan before he crashed was a very strong performance. I think he might have been in with a shout of a, a first Grand Tour um, stage race victory for, for CCC in their new colours. But Dar Limpy, I thought, rode a really, really clever race and did incredibly well to limit Port's gains on Malunga to take the first repeat in the history of the Tour Down Under. So, you know, or, you know consecutive victories, you can't argue with Limpy. And Port, I think... Killian did a really interesting thing. Scott and I were talking about this earlier on in the Velocast, saying the other day that the problem is that if you've got Chris Froome in a Grand Tour in the first week or the second week where he can lose time, he's right at the front, you know, with Killian said he's 17 elbows or whatever, and he's really trying to control everything. He's watching all the points. We've seen him game time where it wasn't expected. Whereas Port seems to lie back until he can make his big effort. And often, as was the case in the Tour Down Under, that big effort isn't actually quite enough to win on its own. You know, you should be more attentive earlier in the race. I disagree. I I, I can understand where you're coming from, but extrapolating this sort of theory from the Tour Down Under is kind of, in my book, is, is not really worth it. Because it, the Tour Down Under normally has been decided by that last stage. And... Um, I would think that in Richie's defence, he's better off not being anywhere near the front of those few stages with all the crashes that have happened over there in the last few few stages. You know, Bevan coming down, there's been a couple of sprint crashes. I think he was better off way out of that because if he came down in one of those for the sake of a few seconds with a collarbone, with an elbow, you know, that's the start of his season gone. Um, and to be fair, there's no other real Grand Tour contenders right it. Yeah. So I, I don't think you can compare his effort to anyone else and I don't think he can c- compare it to a, a three-week Grand Tour. And I understand where you're coming from that he's not <clears throat> as attentive as he should be and not in the first 20 and everything else. See, but and I think the kind of... same thing happens in Grand Tours and that's his problem. You know, it, 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 By extrapolating it, I mean, it is just the Tour Down Under and it's important for Australians and all that kind of shit. Yeah. But 
he does it in grand tours as well. Think of the times he's been isolated without a team. Now, the team are to fault for that. But as the team leader, so is he. He should be on the radio going, I need my guys around me and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it just that... seems to be a lack of attention and, and pure bad luck. But, I mean, I'm talking about recording with Sean, I was saying, or Sean was saying to me, you can only blame bad luck so much on luck. You know, if, yeah. if, you, if it happens time and time and time again, it's something about your approach. No, and it goes back to, I don't know if I mentioned in a, in a previous podcast, I heard a great saying and it really resonated with me. Um, there's no such thing as good luck. It's where opportunity meets preparation. And the reverse is true for bad luck. It's where inattention meets something unexpected. So if you haven't prepared for this or you are not where you're supposed to be or you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and something outside of your control happens, well, then you're going to be affected by it. But if you're in a position where you should be and you have the teammates around you that you should have and you're switched on, then if the thing that ha- that's out of your control happens, then you're most likely going to avoid it. Yeah. And um, that's why in things like this, preparation uh, I'm not uh, going back to Dan Martin Dan Martin had a, a series of crashes as well and it really did feel like that it was just it was more than bad luck it was bike handling it was there was something you missed there that, that wasn't being looked after or tidied up or prepared or that they weren't putting the right attention to it and I suppose as well look how many Porty has only been out of Sky a couple of years um, he's had a repeat crash for BMC and Trek I saw twice before he moved to Trek. Yeah. He's only he's only had a couple of real tilts at a, a Grand Tour. I I, um, I judge him on this year. I, 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 I'll be honest. I think this year's his last year. I, don't, yeah. I mean, I don't mean he'll retire, but if he's going to win, I think it has to be this year. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I wrote him off two or three years ago, and that was a mistake because he has shown, you know, when he crashed in that descent of the the murder chat. That that I think robbed us of a really good fight because he looked strong enough to take it from that year. Yeah, himself, um, and Dan, himself and Dan came down there and yeah. count back and Dan would have been in yellow, blah blah blah. And it's a case of should have, could have, would have. But yeah, it would have been nice to see him see him go head to head then. And we've just been robbed of that, that opportunity. So I just I I don't know. I, I I wouldn't write him off as been. I'd write Quintana off more quickly than I would write Porty off. Quintana's only 29, that amazed me. I keep thinking he's about 70. Yeah, you know, and Aru is quite young as well. He's like another one that's gone past it. Um, and I suppose just another news item that we caught this week as well as the Bahrain Merida writers have got their money. I wonder will the Nibali's moving talks die down now or what, what do you think is going to happen there? I think I think Nibali wants to go. I, I think he's, he really feels to me like he's quite soured at that team now. And, uh, yep. I, I think it would do him some good to go. I, I, he's past, I think, the peak of his career. He's still a strong enough and powerful enough rider to... You know, I could see him if he rode the new Liège, for example, with that finish, coming off the, the final climb, was it, the Côte de uh, Rochelle or whatever, and with a 14 or 15k at the finish, a group with Nibali in it could easily take the victory. I could see him being in contention in a Grand Tour if somebody fell by the, the wayside, but he's got a limited number of years now. And Nibali, for, he's, he's the Sean Kelly of Italian cycling. You know, he's always been inspired by money. And he's got a limited number of years where he can make money. And if you're at a team where for a number of months you haven't been paid 
and you're motivated by money, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to want to go somewhere where you know the money's coming. And you have to remember when he moved to that team, it was all about, we'll give you the budget. You know, we are hugely rich. We'll put you in a position where you can compete with the best teams. And suddenly they're no paid. That would shape your yeah. confidence. Yeah. Um, I think Nibali he still, definitely still has the killer instinct. He's not called a shark for nothing. And I can see where if he's at the the sharp end of a Grand Tour, say the Vuelta or the Giro, uh, and there's a, there's a final stage and there's a bit of a bit of a fight, I could see him taking, you know, I could see him taking a Grand Tour that way. But to your point, um, is that in his interest? Is that in his financial interest? Would he be better off now chasing a few monuments, uh, a few more monuments? Even he's got three monuments. Um, you know, he definitely could take a Liège. I know Amstel is not a monument, but he could definitely take a, an Amstel as well. So, you know, there's there's a bit more to him than, you know, he still has a few tricks up his sleeve. Like, and if he takes takes out, say, not riding a Grand Tour or, or taking it a little bit easier in a Grand Tour and not going for a GC overall, what's he going to be like? Is he How much fresher is he going to be throughout the year and how much more competitive is he? Could we be seeing New Alverde? I mean, the other question is he's got a limited number of years in him and, you know, would his team want him? He might be as well staying at Bahrain, Merida. Who knows? Yeah, um, speaking Have of, you looked at the new finish for Liège? I haven't, but just before we finish up on that one, speaking of limited number of years, um, who's riding over in North Africa at the moment? Uh, Andre Greipel. No, uh, the other guy that we're talking about, the really, really, really old guy that puts Valverde looking like a baby, David Rebelin. Oh my God, he's riding for an Algerian team. He is indeed, yeah. Still going. Still going. <laughs> I was talking about, uh, who was I talking about? Moreno Argentina and kind of old guys. And it struck me, I was talking about them as if they were historical characters. And actually, Rebelin was riding when they were. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's just a stupidly long career. It is really, isn't it? He must be He must be my age, is he? He's 42, is he? Oh, God, no, he's older than that. I think he's 45 or 46. We need to look at I mean, he's ancient. He, may, he does make Valverde look like a spring chicken. And yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. it's funny because we we're, we're talking about Paddy, Paddy Bevan and uh, CCC. Whenever I see CCC, for ages, he was their face. You know, he was their main rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he kind of got pushed away, didn't he? And he, he got them a lot of wins and... He brought that team on a bit as well and then kind of faded and he's been rattling around the, the lower UCI circuits at the moment. I tell you, talking about Africa, there's the, the tropical Amisa Bongo. Way down deep Good in the one. middle of the jungle. Don't, don't. That, that's a flashback to a time in advertising history that we'd better not visit, Chum. Yeah, look, it was, um, yeah, there was a, a drink, a kind of a tropical drink called Umbongo that was been sold over in Ireland and the UK. And there, if you, yeah, if you watch the ad now, it's almost like uh, it, it, it. There's a smell of blackface off it. Uh, yeah, but the, I mean, the, oh my god, I mean, just oh. Anyway, um, Andre Greipel's over there. Yeah, doesn't look like the Greipel I know. Um, kind of doesn't have the the finishing kick that I, I've I've seen. Seems to be a few of the, the finishes have been a bit, bit, bit sketchy, and he's been kind of. He's off the gas a bit early. Um, the former Trek rider Bonifazzo is over there and he's won a stage or two, I think. Yeah, he's won two uh, stages for, for direct energy. And we've had one of the best finishes that I've ever seen where there's a crash just in the last 50 metres and one rider crosses the line with another bike stuck to him. It's fantastic. We, we, we'll tweet out the link after the show. Um, it's, it's, it's worth seeing. Now, the question is, with the, the transponder on the second bike, did that rider get credited with the same time as him? 
Probably did. And did, did did he get bonus seconds? I tell you, the other thing is, you were saying it's the first win in the twenty first century by a rider born in this century, the first yeah, world tour yeah, win. Yeah, there's a narrow train boy there. He's only eighteen, so uh, just out of junior ranks, and he's winning at, uh, winning against Greipel, won by a small margin uh, in a sprint. Yeah, Greipel's riding for the same team as Warren Bargee, isn't he? RKS Samsic this year. He is, yeah. Do you think um, he's at an age now? I mean, you, one thing we've noticed with over the years with older riders is when you're young, you can actually you know keep either form going longer or have a larger number of peaks during the year. Do you think Greipel now only has one or two really good big races in him and he's actually just, you know, marshalling his form to perform well in, you know, one of the Grand Tours? I don't know. Um, or is he just I, done? I think I, I it's hard to know with with, with Greipel. Um he's been in he he's had a very long career. Um you know, we have to remember he started at he was at HT with Cav and everything else way back in the day. Um No, it's it's like the tour down under. It's hard to judge anyone by by that. Um I I think he's going to go to the Giro this year. I think the talk is that he's going going to the Giro so It'll be interesting to see how he fares out against that because the talk so far is that Ewan's gone, I think Gaviria's gone, uh, Viviani's gone. So it's going to be a who's who of sprinters. So he's going to have to be on top form for that. And I can't see him... Uh, they haven't got any invites to the Classics this year, have they? Or are they... No, actually, um, Bargui, in fact, hasn't had a uh, wild card for races that I expected him to get wild cards for. I don't think uh, I don't think we're going to see them very often at all. Yeah, so, you know, he's not going to be doing anything like Paris-Roubaix or anything like that. And, you know, like we've seen him before riding fairly hard at Paris-Roubaix for no apparent reason. Um, so, look, maybe, maybe he can come into the Giro with... Uh, two years ago Tour of France former three years ago Tour of France former he was very 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 dominant but it's 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 hard to know isn't it yeah I mean it, it is really hard to know um, and I mean talking about old codgers the other rider that um, caught my eye this week was we finally saw the retirement of Matt Heyman at the age of 40 yeah, yeah. Um, you know a big big unit what is he 6'3 um, and a, a distinguished career as a domestique. I mean, lots of good, solid kind of top ten finishes and and second tier races. Some good results. He was kind of fourth in Gint Fevel game and that kind of thing. But Come of course, the big one winner. was Paris Roubaix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, that story will ever be forever be intertwined. Like you know, if it, training it on was, a turbo trainer, but you know, yeah. off the season, and he comes home and gets the cobble. Yeah, and against Tom and going for the, 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 you know, to take him clear and all that sort of stuff. And it's just it's fairy tale magic, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I, talking about the Tour Down Under, for an Australian, what better way to go? Yeah. You, know, you train for that week when you've got your national champs, the, you know, the, the Bay Crits and then the Tour Down Under, and then you hang up your wheels and you don't even need to fly back to Europe. Exactly, you know, and you're at home and it's summer and everything else. So, you know, how, how bad is that? Like, nice. 
No, that's good. Um, the Colombian races and, and the ones in South America, I noticed that um, Peter Sagan's over there. There were some pictures posted of Bora Hansgrohe training. Yep. Um, I think it's another indication how serious he is about Milan Sanremo. I think that's really high in his mind this year. We talked about it before. Yep. But all the indicators are, you know, he wasn't far off in the Tour Down Under all the time, whenever he looked like he yep. was being serious. He's going to go and get you know some good hard training in South America. I think he's going to be flying when he hits the European roads. Yeah, I think he is. I think we Viviani, Viviani come off track season, um, so he's got a lot of speed and everything else built up in his legs. So tour down under kind of suits him. Kind of, you know, um, there wasn't too much intensity until the sprint, so that kind of suited him. But you know, Sagan wasn't far off him. Considering yeah. the speed, considering the speed that Viviani had, again Sam wasn't far, or Sagan wasn't far off him um, against Ewan and uh, that uh, that boy from UAE, Philipson. So you know, look, he's he's damn close to sprinters that are that you know Ewan was aiming for this sort of thing. He's been training for it. Viviani's coming off a, a good track season. Um, he, he's damn close to those guys. So a bit more racing and you know a bit more um bit more work with him and Sagan is going to come on and leaps and bounds again um he's definitely got to be he's definitely got to be one of the favorites for Milan San Remo but again as much as I've slated Milan San Remo it is it it is that race that you need to stay switched on for the the 250 kilometers you can't switch off in those first 250 kilometers because wind rain roundabouts poor roads all that sort of stuff stuff can you know if you switch off or you just relax or you're sitting too far back suddenly you're on the wrong side of a split suddenly there's a crash and you're out of contention you have to be switched on you have to be engaged for the whole lot of it and then you have to execute your plan perfectly for the last you know the 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 capos and then into Chipresa, Poggio and everything else you have to execute your plan properly you can't be burning matches on those things you have to be in the right place and and then at the end of it all, you've got 300, 300 odd kilometers in the legs. You've got to be in the right place. You've got to, you know, come off the right wheel. You've got to hit the hit the front at the right time. You can't use your go team. Yeah, you've got to, you know, if it's if it's a block headwind finish on the on on the the seafront, you've got to, you know, you've got to hold your matches. You know, you've got to you've got to hit that right. I think Scan, he's lost it enough times that he should know how how all this works. So I think this is. This is going to be an interesting one because, again, we've got a lot of sprinters that are on top form. We've got a lot of sprinters that have moved teams this year, and they're they're going to be trying to prove prove their mettle. So if it comes to a group, a blanket finish, twenty twenty five riders, you're going to have four or five sprinters there. Yeah. So he's got to be able to beat those guys. Um, the I thing don't... is, after after you know nearly three hundred k, I think he's got the stamina compared to some of the the pure sprinters. Yeah, that you know people who might beat him by a, a you know a half wheel or whatever in a a shorter more controlled sprint. I think it will take it out their legs the distance. I I, I think he's a hot favourite, but the problem with Lance and Remo, of course, is everything can change in the podio. You know, it's yeah. it's a, you'd be a fool to predict you know a winner. Uh, you would like and look the other side as well as if if he makes it hard and the group gets away and say himself, Kiewitowski, a couple of others of that ilk. If he makes it that hard, does he blunt the sprint? Yeah. And you know he, he's lost it before to Kiewitowski. Was it Kiewitowski, Kristoff himself? Yeah. Uh, and you know just pepped by by Kiewitowski. So he, I mean he's learned. It's time. 
Yeah, and he, I mean, he needs to. He's got a Flanders and a Roubaix, which would, you know, it would satisfy almost anybody. But we expect more of him, and he expects more of himself. This year, he needs to, to start adding to that wonderful Palmares that he's already got. Yeah, he's skipping. He's skipping Strada Bianchi this year, isn't he? Yeah, it's a shame. But you know, I think it, it just hammers home the priorities again. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Um, do you think the age is going to favour him? Uh, I think it's too hilly for him still. I think it's better for him. Uh, we had a couple of old codgers weighing in on on current cycling. Uh, Alberto Contador said a few things that I'll, I'll throw past you in a minute. But Miguel Inderain, who I remember well actually being really up in contention on that finish in Liège, which you know d- d- reflects the finish that's going to be this year. So he knows what he's talking about. Um, he says that Valverde could win it, which is like, duh. Because Valverde can win Liège and Olds, but also the new course suits Valverde down to the ground. Yeah. Um, I think the sign that it suits Valverde down to the ground maybe shows that it is a wee bit too hilly for Peter Sagan. But yeah. you know, Sagan, if he concentrates on on climbing next year with the, the new finish, could maybe do a bit better. Uh, the other thing that Indirain says is, you know, we've been talking about uh, from Contador's development team, uh, the young lad Mass. Yep. Uh, he says that he should ride the Tour de France for experience. Um, I think Mass is going to be somebody that once the Frumira starts to fade, I think we'll see Mass come come to the fore. And I think Indere and Contador are both right in picking him as the future of Spanish stage racing. I think so too. But I, I until he has a Grand Tour or two under his arse, it's hard to say because he could very well plateau like a, an Aru or a Quintana. Yeah. You know, he could... He could pick off a Giro quite early in his career and never get back around that. Yeah. Um, so, it, look, it's like anyone that, you know, you, they're talking about Bernal as well, you know. I, <clears throat> well, Contador thinks Bernal could win the Giro this year. He, make, he makes uh, three amazing amazing statements from Alberto Contador this year. He thinks Froome can win the Tour. Duh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sagan's he's the most exciting rider in the peloton. Uh, double no. duh. And then Bernal can win the Giro, which is the one that's actually up for a bit more discussion because I think the Giro is probably the hardest start list that we're going to see this year in the Grand Tour. I think it. Is, I definitely think it is a stacked GC start list, and I think as well, if Bernal will do well, but his youth and with his exuberance on his side, he could very well win it. But what does that take out of him then, and can he repeat that? Um, and will the team protect him enough and all that sort of stuff to to repeat that? Um, you know, we've talked about Froome and why I think he's more likely this year to win again because he's just... I know Thomas has done it once and he's been there and everything else, but Froome has been over and over and over again and he knows what what's needed of him. Bernal, I, it's like what... Injuran says he needs the experience of it. He needs the experience of being in the pink. He needs the experience of talking to the reporters, that hour extra, that you know, the podium ceremony. Can he, can he recover as well as he, he normally should have with two, three hours less recovery a night? Can he do that for a week? Can he do it for two weeks? Um, mm-hmm. If he's in, if he's in pink for that long, and what does, how does that affect him? Plus, as well, and he's young yet. He's got, I mean, his body might not be fully developed enough to put up with that yeah. kind of strain. Yeah, no, exactly. And you've got other 
the you've got other teams that are going to be going full full blast for it, and they're not going to ride the same way as you do on the Tour of France. Yates is definitely not going to ride the same way. Um, I don't think Dumoulin is going to ride the same way. Um, Dumoulin, I think Dumoulin will take a chance somewhere along the way. Um, he might give gaps on some of the longer climbs, but he will he will take a chance somewhere. And he will, I don't think. I, I think losing last year to Froome has stuck with him. I, I don't think he'll ever let that happen again. Um, you know, so I do think Bernal could possibly win it, but he's against a very strong field and he's against a field that are all fighting for the win. And if someone is third, fourth, fifth, they're a minute and a half down, they will gamble third, fourth, fifth for the win in the Particularly Giro. Particularly if you're the likes of a Dimolan who's already got one under your belt. And they watched yeah. Froome last year on the Finistra. Yeah. Um, whereas in the Tour, because of the nature of it, someone will defend a fifth place, someone will defend a sixth place, someone will defend an eighth place. Um, and you might sometimes see a team riding on the front and you've got no idea why they're riding on the front. It's because they're, they've got a rider seven to eight or whatever else and someone up the road is tent. Um, whereas in the Giro, they they do have more of a tendency to just commit to the win over there. I tell you, you know, last week we were talking about Sam Bennett or a couple of weeks ago, the last time yep. we were talking. Um, we need to get a bit of Irish content in every show we do. I'm really fascinated by Nico Roach at Sunweb. I mean, what do you think is going to happen to the old codger? Uh, Nico's not that old. Don't you no, dare say that. He's 84, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I th- I, it's, it's a strange fit for him, but from what I've heard of him and everything else, he prefers a more structured, regimented environment. Um, he prefers a, a more um, detail-oriented, detail-oriented team, um, and he works out better there so I think he's got unfinished business um, I think last year you know he's, he's said in a couple of interviews he had a few personal problems and things off the bike didn't go quite right for him and that reflected in how he how he fared out in, in BMC he had some issues at Sky as well didn't he I think he did yeah um, but like look he's not he's a rider that um, he'll do well for Dumoulin if he rides rides a is he riding the Giro or is he just down for See, two? What I, what I can't decide, and I mean, this will this play out as the, the year progresses, is I can't decide if he'll be there for Dumoulin as a road captain, as, you know, as part of a Grand Tour squad, because he's got the experience for that. Yep. Uh, and all, all of that entails. I'd actually like to see him get a free reign as his career you know, draws towards its close and ride some single day races. Because he's got all the qualities he needs to, to be there at the finish of a big single day race. And I don't think he's ever devoted himself because everybody said to him, look who your dad is, you're obviously a Grand Tour rider. Yeah, I, I think, you know, throw him in the mix in, in Liège or in Amstel. Yeah. I think, I think he'd be there or thereabouts. I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really interested to see what he does and what Team Sunweb do with him, because I, I think oh, that's a terrible thing to say, because he's had a great career and he's like Axel Merckx, you know, he's that guy that lives in the shadow, of one of yeah. the true giants of the sport, you know, because um, I mean, his dad was only shown brightly for a relatively short period of time, but dear God, you know what he achieved in that short period of time, and I think he's always struggled because. He- he has, yeah. He's, he's got far more talent than his Palmares would indicate. Yep. And I, I I think as well as that, not only does he have more talent than his Palmares indicated, I think 
he didn't know what he wanted to do for a long time. Um, and when he did at Agi 2R, and I don't think they had the team or I, he was really, really, I think, bringing up Gadry as well. Refused to give him a wheel and all sorts of uh, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. Look, less less said about that. I, I was, I was very upset about that at the time. <laughs> um, I, I think he he kept that team afloat and really brought him, brought him along, um, to a place where probably they 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 weren't going to achieve at that time with the riders they had. And I think there was too much too much pressure on him. And I think, like you said, if he had concentrated less on the tour at that stage, could he have won a couple of classics? Yeah. A Lombardy. Yeah, definitely. I think definitely. A Liège, I definitely think it would because he had a he has a fantastic finish. Um, you know, he started off life as a as part of a lead up man for 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 Tor. Um, and he, I think, yeah, I think he could. I I think he, I, I think he'd be very happy with his career. Could he have done better in his career? Possibly, but who knows? Yeah, and I mean, it is, it, it, Stephen's a hard hard really hard act to follow, isn't he? Uh, you know, whatever I mean, you achieve, if you're Stephen Roach's son, everybody's going to go, oh, you know, as good as your dad. Yeah, even down to how Stephen looked on a bike, how he pedaled on a bike, he was just... Uh, one of the great stylists. Yeah, just beautiful on a bike, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still... He's, I mean, one of the great pedalers of all time. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I've gone back and watched it, even later on when he was riding, you know, the twilight of his career. Still... Absolutely, even right at the edge, you know, even when he crossed the line and needed oxygen chasing Delgado, right up until the point he fell off the bike, he still looked fantastic. Yeah, he, he was he wasn't a mollicker, he wasn't all over the bike, or he didn't lose any of his suplex. He still looked, yeah, that's uh, amazing. So uh, you've been injured this week, mate. <laughs> I've been injured with the last week or so. I'm my day job as an IT engineer. Um, so I was removing some servers from one of our um, stores for our point of sale system and it was an old um, HP DL big thing lifted the server uh, like one of dead. those 5 megabyte hard drives from the 60s that they had to take yeah, out yeah, the planes yeah. with forklifts that's that's about the size of it lifted the, lifted the, the server um, it wasn't in Iraq it was just on the floor lifted the server dead mouse fell out um, bounced off my leg bounced off my boot and I kind of jumped a little bit uh, I'm sorry I shouldn't have laughed no no I, I tell this you posted tell, a picture of the moose I did yeah um, Jeffrey um, dead nose fell out and I was still holding the server so as I jumped I, I heard something pop on my shoulder so I've been off getting a bit of physio a bit of dry needling and a bit of cupping done oh man uh, <laughs> I, 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 the only time I've ever got a, a serious back injury and it, I mean it still twinges from time to time I was bending over a tandem to adjust the timing chain and you know no stress nothing at all just that combination of bending and twisting and you do you hear that pop and yep. you know something's wrong so I've been feeling for you this week as you're trying to you know sleep and relax with your sore back yeah and uh, like the, the stupid thing was it's a server for retirement I should have just let the thing drop and let it fall apart, but I didn't. I walked and uh, I put it down someplace safe and sat down and everything else. And the physio had to do a bit of work on my hip because I think I carried it. I carried it the rest of the way with my my hips rather than carrying with my body. So uh, I've been I've been twisted all week. But uh, look, the marks on my back are are funny for the kids going around now. That daddy got spots. Daddy got so it's a great run around the house. 
Yeah, it's the only, it's, you kind of look like you've got a, a really bad Climbers jersey, actually. Yeah, yeah, I look like a polka dot jersey without the polka, without the without the jersey. Anyway, I'm going to draw a close to today's show. Uh, we more or less just did this because, well, we want to get back into a routine as, as yep. the season progresses. Um, and there was a bit to talk about, but nothing too exciting. We will be back in a fortnight with another edition of the Flamcast. But where can people find you on the internet? Uh, the Dark Corners are mainly on Twitter, hiding around as at Flamcast. Yeah, and I'm at Velocast John on Twitter. Um, we theoretically have Facebook pages for the Velocast and the Flamcast, but we still don't know what to do with them. Uh, no. So you're, you're far better going to Twitter if you want to find us. Um, but meantime, we'll be back soon with another edition of the Flamcast. <laughs>